Hi everyone, my name is Missy Owete. Welcome to season three of the Money Matters with Missy podcast. This season, we're going to be looking at things differently. We're going to go topical, so we're going to pick a topic and we're going to discuss that topic. Of course, it will be split into different episodes until we've exhausted or dealt with the topic. Also, I'm going to be giving you things that you should consider on your to-do list based on the book if God wrote my to-do list. So we'll look at one item every week to help us stay, stay focused on our goals. I hope you enjoy this. Listen, subscribe, share, like. On our to-do list this week is thank your parents. I want to assume that at some point in our lives, we would have, you know, taken time to thank our parents, either because we were taught or trained to do so um, because of, you know, what they provided for us. Every time they gave us a gift or did something, we would thank them. Um, most parents should have and I want to believe have taught their children to do this so what happens when you become an adult and um, you, you no longer receive gifts of your parents does that mean you stop thanking them do you have a reason to thank them um, it's important for us to realize that number one we would not be where we are today we would not even exist without our parents and so therefore even if it's that's the only reason we do, we need to thank them and secondly they have been <clears throat> the one that um um sets the foundation of, of who we are today so the way they chose to raise us whether good or bad you know has in one way or the other influenced or shaped us you know to become the person that we are and to make the decisions that we are making today and so again they deserve to be thanked and more importantly i mean i lost my mom um, a few years back and i can never go back to her to say thank you all the thank you that i could have said to her if it wasn't said while she was alive that's the end of it and um depending on how old your parents if it doesn't even matter what age your parents are because no one knows when our parents would pass and so it becomes important to say the things that we need to say while we have the opportunity and more importantly the bible tells us to honor our father and mother as we know it's the only um commandment um with a promise it says honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the lord your god is giving you Exodus 20:32. So today might be a good day to give your parents a call and say thank you. Hi everyone. Um thank you again for joining us this week. Um and so um, last 
episode, we're talking about how to become financially independent. We looked at the definition of financial independence. We looked at, um, you know, you know, setting up your own goals or rather helping you decide what financial independence means to you and deciding what that means and obviously putting a figure to it. We also looked at budgeting and how to organize our budget to get to get us on the initial step to becoming financially um, independent. Okay, so we're going to continue on that theme this in this episode. And like I was saying last episode, a lot of times our lifestyle is determined by our income. So a lot of times we can live with, um, we can live below our income level, but because of whatever reason we don't tend to intentionally and what do i mean by this so say for example um you're an income you started with an income of twenty thousand, and you were able to live successfully with the income of twenty thousand without getting into any debt whatsoever and um you then get a, a pay rise you get promoted you change jobs um and your income goes up to thirty thousand. Um, usually what will happen is we then begin to live that lifestyle. So the first thing most likely we'll do is start thinking of getting our own place. So rather than renting, we're thinking of buying. And so some of us might begin to put some of that um, 10,000 towards a deposit. Um, the next step will be getting a vehicle. So a lot of people, maybe they're using it. And I'm not saying this is unreasonable. Please, I'm not judging anybody. I'm just telling you what tends to happen so for some people um they're using a a old rickety card maybe that was passed down by their parents or a member of their family or they just bought because they needed to get from a to b they start looking at changing that so some would um finance it obviously their income can afford it now so rather than putting out a big outlay to buy a vehicle they might buy it and pay for it over time um you know and then the holidays become a bit more expensive you know um where before you might be going for self um, catering holidays just to keep your 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 holiday costs low now you're going for all-inclusive holidays because obviously it's a holiday it's supposed to be time out who wants to be cooking on holidays and again like i said i'm not judging or condemning anybody these are things that i've done myself so i think it will be self-righteous of me to um want to condemn anyone in this but i'm just saying it's what we do it's natural and so you find out that before you know it you're living your lifestyle has moved from the twenty thousand pounds per annum lifestyle to that of the thirty thousand because that's what you're earning you know and then maybe you get married and you have now you have two incomes um some of the core costs are just a little bit higher but you then have that extra cash you know from the second income you know and again your lifestyle moves up a bit more you know to accommodate that excess money and the point i'm trying to make here is that a lot of us can live on less than we are living on at the moment so just by looking just by number one not upgrading and just continuing doing what you're doing you know means that you could be saving a lot more on your expenses and that's that's a point to consider so like 
instead of changing your car every three years so you, you bought the car on hire purchase you finish paying for it most people would you know trade in that car and then get another vehicle and then you know do that and every three years they're always using a new vehicle you know so instead of doing that if there's nothing wrong with the vehicle it's not causing you any difficulties it's not giving you any mechanical faults um you could continue using that vehicle until it becomes a problem you know and in that time the money that you've been you were spending you know financing the funding the the finance on the vehicle you could have been putting that money aside in a savings account so that by the time you now decide to replace the vehicle you now have cash so you don't have to get debt you know to buy the car or again you could use it for one or so many other different reasons so rather than upgrading you know you do and when you're going to buy a new vehicle you're buying a vehicle you know around about the same standard of the vehicle so maybe it's i don't know some people li like like <clears throat> ford focus or ford fiesta or something like that and you choose to go for the exact same ford fiesta you know of course it's a newer model but it's still the same around the same vehicle you know, some people do that because they like to know their vehicles and they're comfortable with the, with the kind of vehicles that they are but some do it for wiser reasons not upgrading so rather than moving from a fiesta to a focus to a um i can't remember all the fourth series but i know a galaxy because i've used one to a galaxy you stay with that same brand model you know um because that's what you've chosen to do so little things like that you know um again same thing with accommodation you know some of us would we need a three bed but now that we can afford it, we can get the mortgage for it we decide to go for a four bed you know and again we've spent five years on this mortgage and then we go start again getting a four bed and all of that and all of that of course if you need a four bed please get a four bed i'm just saying that a lot of us don't really need the four bed we're quite okay and comfortable in the three bed but we choose to upgrade to a four bed because everybody in our in quote social um, bracket are in a four bed living in a four bed semi-detached or a four bed detached house and all of that and so we upgrade whereas just staying in the terrace three bed where you are is sufficient you know so it's not i'm none of it there's no right or wrong answer please i'm not condemning or judging anybody all i'm just the point i'm trying to make is that you decide what you're happy with rather than allowing the joneses decide for you what you're happy and comfortable with and once you you know what that is just stick to it and by doing that you know this the funds that you're not spending upgrading you could use that to help you become financially independent quicker okay and um so one of the things i said we, should, we would be doing when we're doing a budget is putting aside an emergency fund okay so again when i spoke about insurances i i, I said i i i use insurances as hedges and the reason why we use insurance as hedges is so that if an expense occurs or an emergency occurs um the insurance will kick in so one of the good uses of um insurance would be things like term insurance so to pay off our mortgage critical illness to pay off our mortgage in, in the event of um terminal critical or terminal illness or death 
so the mortgage gets paid off so that we, we don't leave our members of our family with that debt and you know plunging them back into poverty when we've come out of it but a more less dramatic form of insurance would be things like your vehicle insurance your home contents insurance and stuff like that even home emergency insurance so if with the home emergency insurance if you have a, 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 a um, your boiler breakdown for example and it needs to be repaired rather than you looking for 200 300 pounds um, and having to put that on your credit card if you have the funds available uh, sorry if you have an home emergency um, insurance they would send an engineer out to take care of it and some of those insurances will contribute to your boiler replacement and so if you have an emergency fund and you need your boiler replaced not only would the home emergency insurance you know fund part of not all of them do some do fund part of the repair you have a pot of money that you can you know put in that would then pay for the repair of the boiler meaning that you don't have to do it on credit because what i find is that um, doing it on credit you might be paying twice as much as or at least 50 percent more expensive just because you've put it on credit as to buying the parts yourself and getting the engineer to fix it for you so an uh, emergency fund is very 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 important the same thing with um vehicle insurance so if you do have an accident you'll be asked to pay um the excess on that and the insurance would either repair the vehicle or you know um replace it and but you need to pay the excess and for some people that could be so there might be a compulsory excess of maybe 150 250 and then there's a voluntary excess of to bring your premiums down they normally ask for a voluntary excess so by the time you add that together that could be like 500 pounds again if you have an emergency fund you can just go to the emergency fund take that out you don't have to put it in a credit card so you're not adding more debt to it and then you you're able to do that and so emergency funds ensures that you're not having to go into debt so you're not increasing your personal debt or increasing your credit card debt that's the beauty of the um, emergency fund but doing that along with an insurance puts you in a very 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 good place and you only do your insurance up until um, the point where your emergency fund um, cannot cover so initially you start with the insurance and then you be begin to build up your emergency fund and once you have enough in your emergency funds to cover some maybe not all of those eventualities then you can stop paying the insurance the insurances that are not compulsory so like your home emergency fund for example unless it's part of your your buildings and contents insurance a lot of insurances are offering home emergency now with them so if it comes with your home insurance fantastic so you don't have to do it separate you know things like replacing your dishwasher your washing machine um your dryer you know those are all included even things like replacing your laptop your phones for example all of that are included you don't have to pay the 5.99 or 15.99 insurance if you have an emergency fund to replace your phone in case of loss or damage or breakdown or whatever so you need to consider that because these are the things that usually tend to eat away at the emergency fund or a surplus cash flow 
that then makes it difficult for us to achieve our goals as quickly um, as we want to. And some of us can get discouraged because we've been doing this for like 18 months and it's like we're not getting anywhere um, quicker. So the other thing with the um, emergency fund is where do you keep it? Do you put it in... um, do you put it in a, a, just a basic savings account? Do you put it in an ISA? Do you put it in a high interest account? Um, so what I would suggest is you, I, I personally would suggest 50-50. So put um, 50 in a, just a normal um, savings account. And some savings account would give you a higher interest if you put money in it and you don't take it out in 12 months. So the interest they offer you is a lot higher than the basic savings account. So you could choose to do that. The reason why I say you should choose to do that is because it's an emergency fund. Okay. Even though the emergency might arise, it might be that you have the surplus cash flow within your account to take care of the expense without having to touch the savings. And so you have the benefit of that. And if you do dip into it, then it's fine. You just, you know, hopefully in the next 12 months, you don't have another emergency to have to, to do that. But, and if, if, if that then happens, it doesn't really matter. Why? Because you're going to get the same interest rate as if you put it in a normal savings account anyway. So my suggestion would be look for a high interest um, savings account to put that in. And then the remaining half, you put in an ISA. Um, of course, with an ISA, once you take the money out, you know, you if you can't put it back in or if you put it back in you don't get the benefit of it you understand so i would suggest you split it into two and people people um tend to um ask um how much should i have put away in my emergency fund i suggest three to six months and this applies to whether you're an individual or a business Always try and put aside three to six months worth of interest. I think one of the things that the pandemic has taught us is that even for businesses, we need to have that emergency fund. The reason why the bounce back loan was so popular was because a lot of businesses didn't have those emergency funds. Now, initially, we thought the pandemic would be around three to six months. And as we've seen, it's lasted more than 12. The lockdown process, we've been in and out, but it's been over a 12-month period. And... For all we know, it might be longer. So altogether, I think it's about 15, 15 months. Um, it, could go, it could go on for maybe more, longer. We don't know. We're praying that this would be the last lockdown um, that we face. But for people who had set money aside, they would have been able to cope a lot better than people who didn't have any emergency fund whatsoever. So whether you're an individual or a business, learn to put aside at least three to six months of your expenses as an emergency fund you know the very least is three months if you're really really struggling to get your emergency fund together three months if it's something that you could do easily then go for six months okay so yeah um that um so that that goes for the emergency fund and then the so if you are doing the savings which is the emergency fund and doing the investment then the next step is what do you then do with the investment bits of it or once you've achieved your emergency fund what do you then do with that excess money and so this is where it gets quite interesting okay 
so there's so many things you could do um you could you could do like the hands off investment so the like there are lots of um shares and stocks and bonds funds that you could put money in so what you could potentially do is you could just you know set up the that is standing order a direct debit for the for your emergency fund amount that goes into those kind of investments so you you put a certain amount into them every month this set amount and it builds up you know the cash allowance builds up now the risk with that of course is because it's an investment the value of the investment can go down or go up and then you also have the charges that comes from managing the account so when you're putting the money in the money managers will take a certain percentage to help you decide what kind of investment they're going to put it into and all of that and so the amount you put in initially could drop not by a lot you know but there's that chance there and then depending on what they put it in the value of it could drop almost immediately so there's that risk and so the decision is should i put it in that or should i put it in cash now if you're not going to be doing the investments yourself and you're going to be relying on people to do it for you then i don't think you have too much of a choice you might as well just put the money there but if you're going to be doing the investment yourself you know then of course you're not going to be paying um investment managers you're just going to have um you're going to pay the admin fee for putting the money in the funds then you might also want to consider and the idea really is that you put the money there to until you can build a big enough fund to then do a different kind of business so the kind of things that you can put maybe 50 pounds between 50 and maybe 250 or 300 into every month things like like i i am a big fan of silver and gold because like i said you can buy you can start investing in commodities for as little as 20 pounds 30 pounds a month and so um I don't think there's any company that you can set up a standing order for 20 or 30 pounds a month for, but you could easily buy your gold and silver um, for 20, 30 pounds, okay? Of course, you have storage costs to factor into that, but then at this stage, it's not going to be a lot, okay? And some of them might insist that they need a minimum for them to begin to store. And so what I would suggest is you save up you know that money until you get to the minimum investment level and then once you get there you buy and then once you've bought you can then top it up every single month so you have your gold and silver that you could put your money into you've got the stocks and shares that you could put your money into you know and then you've got the the isas that you can put your money into um and just begin to build that pot to be able to then look at other passive income opportunities so maybe taking that money out to um, get training on how to if you want to go into property how to do the property that you want to do if you want to do online business so there's so many different opportunities with online business learning the training and then doing the initial investment to keep those um, businesses going okay so you put that there you know um, and then ISAs the reason why I'm saying ISAs is because um the interest rate on ISA is a bit higher. It's guaranteed by the government. The amount the government can, the, the, the banks can charge is also limited, but you don't pay any tax on it. You get a tax relief on whatever amount that you put in there. So you, those are the places that you can do, you know, those kind of things. Now, if you want to go off plan, you know, you have people who um, kind of like a, I don't want to call it 
crowd um peer-to-peer lending i think it's more crowdfunding so you have some people who would say okay we want to invest in maybe they want to invest in property and they're looking for friends and family to put in money you know to bring their money together so maybe they need a hundred thousand altogether and they've got maybe 50 and they're looking for people to you know do the same so that they can buy this property do it or sell it and get return for it and all of that and so you could you could speak to them you know a lot of them have would have maybe you've missed out on one project but usually what they do is they do more than one project so you can have an arrangement with them and say look you know i'll give you this amount every single month so that your next project i have the cash available to give you that's if you're not certain that you're gonna be able to keep the money but i just want to run through a quick principle you know that rich dad preaches so rich dad um of course if you've read his book rich dad poor dad there's a principle that he teaches he has a game it's online you can get the board he has a a board game called the cash flow and he also has the game online and the way he works it out and you know thinking about it it makes absolute sense so the way it is when you play the game you you're given a, a profession so you could be a nurse a doctor a teacher an engineer and a pilot or whatever you have a job and based on that job you get an income a set amount of income a set amount of expense the idea really is for you to get out of the rat race which is the day-to-day job and then get into the fast track and get to the level where you earn fifty thousand pounds on top of your income okay now to get you out of the rat race you need to be able to earn income equal to or more than your expenses okay and he enables you pay off your debt as you go along so the opportunities that he offers you as you go through go through the rat races you can invest in shares and one of the things that he does with the shares is that he share opportunity comes at different prices so when you look at the share price it tells you what the the range the the share sells for so it could be maybe five to forty pounds for example and at different times as you're going through the rat race the circle um you get opportunities to buy shares at different prices some of them are the five pounds some of them below five pounds um some of them at halfway through the range and some of them at top of the range and you decide so in that case of course logic would say that you buy it either below the range or at the lowest possible level of what the range of the share is so so that when the opportunity for you for for you to sell the share at a higher value so say like you're buying at five pounds for example and the range is five to forty if you buy at five the opportunity comes when you can sell at forty pounds and so you'd have quadrupled your money of course buying those shares you don't get any income so there are no dividends but in real life sometimes you could get dividend okay but the principle is that if you buy enough of those shares at rock bottom prices and the value goes really high and you sell them at a high rate you then have a bigger pot which you can then use to invest in something else so shares is one of the things that he offers you he also offers you all this um in quotes treasury bills and stuff like that um you get no income 
um and then you have business opportunities so someone's setting up someone wants to start a widget business of course the cash flow is zero you don't really get anything because usually when someone is trying to set up a business it takes a while it takes maybe up to three years before um they start generating enough profit to be able to pay you out but the beauty of it is that there's also opportunity for you to sell the widget company that you you invested you know that you bought you know so and that is so true so when you look at in our current day and time when you look at um investing in pa- um, passive income in online opportunities for example lots of people have this um amazon um amazon business or dropship business or whatever business it is that you're doing and what they tend to do is they do the business for a few years and they master it, they perfect it to such a point that they know that they're going to get a, a, a certain amount of revenue from it every month. And at that point, there's an opportunity to sell it. So when they started the business, it probably costed them about two, three thousand to set it up. They've made their two, three thousand, ten, twenty times over. And then somebody comes to them and says, okay, you know what? I'll pay you fifty thousand pounds for that business. And so that business automatically becomes an asset and you might say why would you want to sell that kind of a business well because when you get that fifty thousand pounds you can take that fifty thousand pounds and invest it in a bigger business you know or even in property that would then generate you um, a bigger passive income to help you reach your financial goal okay and that's why i'm discussing this because when you play the game you know it's just a game but it begins to open your mind to the things that you need to do to get out of debt and so um there are things like um investing in gold so buying gold at a particular price and then usually there's an opportunity for you to sell that gold at a higher price and so the opportunities that he offers are shares um business property and commodity okay and so once you've done all of that and you're, you buy, so you could start with buying um, shares. Maybe you buy shares at one pound, you sell it at 40 pounds. So you're making a 40% return. You spend a thousand pounds on the shares. You sell it for 40,000. With that 40,000, the typical um, property investment. So he offers you small deals and big deals. Small deals are under 6,000. Big deals are over that and they could go up to 100, even 200,000. So with the small deals, you could put down a down payment of 5-10%. You get a return of like maybe 150, between 150 and 250, you know, and the rest is mortgaged. You know, you get a few of those. Some of them give you positive cash flow. Some of them give you negative cash flow. Um, some of them, you don't even have to put any down payment on it. So that's what we would call a no money down deal. Um, yeah, and you the idea really is that you get enough to pay to equal your amount of expenses so once you have all these other income streams you know that is giving you enough money to to um equal your expenses you're out of the rat, rat race you 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 will take you out of the rat race okay and so the idea is that you're trading and I'm using stressing the word trading as opposed to investing to be able to get to the point where you can truly invest. So once you're out of the rat race, you now get 
opportunity to do deals that will give you 5,000, 10,000, 25,000 every month, including things like burger business, buying a franchise, um, so many other different business opportunities, which you then need to invest bigger source of funds. But of course, you're already getting those level of funds from investing, you know, investing in good durable businesses and until you are able to generate fifty thousand dollars worth of income you know you're still on the rat race but once you're on the rat race you're on your way to financial freedom okay and by the time you're generating fifty thousand pounds um fifty thousand pounds interest um sorry fifty thousand pounds return on your investment of course you're made you know and so i i I would suggest you know that you look into it um it's free to join um online um and play the game a few times just so that you can become familiar but really that is a, a that is i think it's the learning step to getting you financially independent the other thing i would also suggest is if you haven't already read the book to read the book Rich, he has so many, but rich, read the book, this first book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad book, because it would open your eyes to financial independence and how the rich think about money and how, you know, so he, he, he does a comparison of what he calls his rich dad um, and his, his rich dad and poor dad and how they look at money. So his rich dad is his friend's father who teaches him about money. And his poor dad is his own father, who is a, a professor, you know, um, I think a college um, teacher who works, you know, for an income and how they look at money. And so it helps you with your money mindset, you know, and how you think about money and how you can become financially independent and all of that. And I think it's really, really great. Um, and it's a simplistic way of thinking about how to become um, financially free or financially independent so i hope that has been useful um i hope that has been useful um again share with your friends and family if you have any questions let me know my name is miss and this is the money matters podcast